0: You're listening to the Money in 30 podcast, your weekly guide to personal finance and investing for working families and small businesses by Invest Advisors, LLC. Now here's your host, financial planner and Invest Advisors, CEO Jeremy Torgerson. And I'd like to thank you for joining us today. On this sort of reintroduction to the Money and Thirty podcast, my name is Jeremy Torgerson. I am the CEO of Invest Advisors LLC. We are a fee-only, fully fiduciary investment advisory firm based in northern, a northern suburb of Denver, Colorado, called Brighton. And we started our company, and I began my financial practice in the great state of Texas at the very, very southern tip in Brownsville, Texas. We actually lived in a small community named Los Fresnos, which is very close to South Padre Island, if anybody's familiar with it. And began our business in uh, what is one of the most economically depressed areas of the country. And that's a very weird place to do a financial advisory firm. But it was important to me, and I'm going to share today some of the story of what, why I started there, what my motivation is to being an advisor, and just give you the opportunity to hear a little bit more about what this firm does and what it believes in. Um, first, a quick housekeeping note on our podcast. We are going to obviously improve... The quality of the, you know, of the podcast as we go. I'm not going to be too worried about it though. I have a, a, a performance and theater background, so I can improvise pretty well. Um, I hope I can carry a conversation even if I'm just talking to myself and you're listening. But I wanted to let you know that as the podcast continues, we will definitely improve quality. So hang with us. Um, we're going to listen to your feedback as listeners. Uh, I'm going to get feedback from some of my, not only people who love me nearby, friends and family, but also I want to get the feedback of, of industry professionals about the content, um, and then uh, attack some of my uh, performance friends and get that uh, get their input on on technical issues as well. But I wanted to give you a little bit of info about myself and um, and tell you a little bit about why. I do this firm and why it is very, very different than many other financial advisory practices that you're going to look at. So if you are in the market for either your first financial advisor, or maybe you have one and are not necessarily happy with what's going on, or just not sure if you want a second opinion, I encourage you to interview a whole lot of us um, before you make a decision. It's supposed to be a long-term relationship with your financial planner. And that means that you've got to, go on a few dates before you get professionally married, if I can use that weird figurative language. Let me start with this. Let me give you a little bit of history about the firm and then I'll go into my own background. But Invest Advisors began as an independent company called Palo Alto Investments in 2011 in uh, Brownsville, Texas of all places. I'm a Denver native and my firm is now back in Denver, Colorado after I relocated my family and my company three years ago but I had been living in Texas for about a year before I became a financial advisor. My first three years in this business, I was with Edward Jones Investments, and we built a small little office in the beautiful but tiny community called Los Fresnos, Texas. It's very close to South Padre Island, if you're familiar with the very, very southern tip of Texas. And uh, after three years, though, of being with a major firm, I had been a business owner previous to becoming a financial advisor. I'll kind of share a little bit of that later in the podcast. But it became clear to me that there was no good way to work for my clients if I also had to work for a company. There were always production quotas. There were incentives given to put you into products that maybe uh, might not have been the best fit for you, but would send me on a trip somewhere in the world. And those kinds of things are not, were not, they didn't sit right with me. And so I'm not, not to knock you know, Edward Jones or any of those other firms, but those, those people that work there are employees of that company, not employees of their clients. And that's something that I, I wanted to be, I wanted to make sure that I had my client's best interests at in mind at all times. And that meant sometimes that you were going to be in conflict with your own employer And, uh, and I can share a quick story about that to give you an example of of why, but the very day that I could leave Edward Jones, I had a three year contract with them. I resigned and formed my own independent firm called Palo Alto investments. And that was based in Brownsville, Texas until January or February of 2017. And then we relocated my family and my business back to my home city of Denver. Uh, in Colorado uh, because I had a kid that finally graduated college and one that graduated high school in the same summer. And it was important for my wife and I to get them back into a better job market. South Texas, I will tell you, is an awesome, unbelievably great place to raise young children. And I think it's a fantastic place, obviously, to retire. We have a lot of snowbirds that we call winter Texans. In Texas, that come down and stay, so it's just an awesome place. The cost of living is low. Uh, there's no income tax in the state of Texas, so it's just a lot of great, great pluses. Plus, I love being near the beach, where I could wear really bad Hawaiian shirts and and just enjoy the beach. I owned a sailboat for several years while we were there, but it was time to think about my family, and uh, we decided we decided to move back to Denver. So. Uh, we still have a, a huge number of our clients are still in South Texas, and we I travel down regularly to give them face-to-face visit time. Um, and we also do a lot of video appointments, and that's something that did definitely change when I decided to move. So when we began to relocate our firm, we had to really think about how we wanted to do this. Um, did we want to just abandon all of those people that had placed trust in me and that I had relationships with? And I really did not want to do that, and, and I don't think they did either, because Nearly all of them are still with me. But we we had to make some decisions, and one of which was if I'm going to be remote, we have to figure out a way to serve you in a way that is virtual. I guess, you know, I may be down three times a year or something like that for face-to-face visits, but if you needed me in between, because life comes, you know, life gets in the way, it was important for us to figure that out. So we became a firm that really embraced technology. And so we, we do a lot of, for example, video meetings. We're almost entirely paperless. You can do almost everything from your phone in working with us. And that lent itself to a different customer base. When I was at Edward Jones Investments, they sort of had you go after and, and pursue Your typical retiring farmer whose land was now worth ten million, and he just sold it to a developer, and now he's very wealthy, but not terribly uh, sophisticated financially. So you, you know, that was your kind of what you were looking for. Or retired clients who were just looking. And that time, the um, the market has had just really started to collapse from the Great Recession when I got in this business. But we had a lot of retired folks who were used to getting four and a half or five percent on their their bank savings and in, in certificates of deposit. And we're now getting zero or just barely above zero and needed to find something new. So they became bond buyers for the first time. So there was that kind of client base. The folks who still use Edward Jones for, those, um, uh, for their investment services or firms like that want to be able to just sort of stop in, sit and visit, sip some coffee with their advisor. It's a very laid back uh, atmosphere intentionally. And we had to figure out a way to still bring some humanity to what I'm doing, but be able to do it from 1,800 miles away. And so we embraced a lot of technology. That lent itself, like I said, to a a younger client base. So we decided to continue making changes that would benefit a younger client base. So Invest Advisors, although we still have clients uh, in their late 80s and they do just fine using our systems and, and, um, you know, we we have that relationship built. We are most definitely a firm that is focused on people who are honestly too busy with work and life to come hang out at their financial advisor's office and sip coffee with me, which I'm going to do right now. And I'll probably edit this out. Maybe not. But, but I would say that what I have learned changing my firm from being more traditional to far more technologically advanced and then getting the opportunity then to work with younger investors is that I'm really thrilled with and so impressed by the the seriousness with which younger investors are taking their money. And I think I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 48 years old uh, as of a few weeks ago. So I, I, and I see in my age range a lot more of a laissez-faire attitude toward money. Unfortunately, you have your few, you know, those those people you knew in high school now that are fabulously wealthy, but by and large, most of the people that grew up in my, I guess, blue collar type community in Aurora, Colorado, where I went to high school, are still pretty much that kind of person. There's been a few that have really launched off. There's been a few with a lot of hardships, but by and large, most of us are in the same economic condition as our parents were before, and I don't see that that desire to move upward anymore in my age range that I do in people that are 30 or younger. I'm really impressed with people 27, 28 years old that come to us and they're very almost embarrassed to want to do business with us because they've only got, you know, 75,000 in their 401k. And I only wish that I saw that much money in someone's 401k who's 50. And unfortunately, we don't see that a lot. So, anyway, this firm it, Being focused on younger people is not terribly focused on how much money do you have now. We're worried about where you want to go. So that's the biggest philosophy difference between myself and many other firms is you'll have, if you're a wealthy person, if you've got a few million dollars to invest, you will have literally 50 financial advisors in your community and around the country banging on your door and trying to get interest, you know, your interest in them and and inviting you to dinners and all of those things, hanging out at the golf course, people working through your church, looking for rich people. I mean, it's a, the business has always been what I would call whale hunting, trying to find those few major clients so that you can serve just a few and do it really well, but still make a good living for yourself. And that's never been what's motivated me. And so I'm going to try to transition now into kind of why did I focus on For example, why did I start my business in one of the poorest places in the country, which is the the Mexico border at Texas? Why do we work with young people who don't have any money yet? Why are we willing to work with just average working Americans? And I got this opportunity to tell this story to a group of financial advisors about two months ago. And when I told it, I didn't think much of it. It It's not something that I ever hid from my clients or my friends, but It's just something that doesn't really come up that often. But I grew up extraordinarily poor. And I had two loving parents, but they were teenagers when I was born. They got divorced when I was four. And I lived with the courts just sort of, you know, in in those days especially, just defaulted to the mother being the primary guardian of the children. So my sister and I were given to my mother, who was a single mother for... Um, until I was in high school. She had, you know, occasional men in her life that we thought were going to become stepfathers, and then these guys would disappear. But by and large, she fought it out with myself, my sister, and eventually my younger brother, Brian, by herself. And we lived for many years on food stamps. We lived in government project houses. She always drove cars that were coming apart at the seams. I remember old cars that were rusted and the front the, the driver's side window didn't go down. I mean, just a lot of those kinds of experiences. We lived in, in inner city projects and uh, we were thankfully, we were in Denver Metro and it was a fairly progressive community. so there were uh, low-income houses that were being built out in the suburbs. So we spent a lot of our time out away from some of the real you know hard areas of, of inner city life like some kids have to endure. But it was tough. We moved a lot because um, sometimes the rent was due and we couldn't afford it. Or sometimes, you know, my mom's work, uh, she always worked, but her work might be clear across town and we could find an apartment that was closer and and things like how much gas money she'd have every month mattered. So we moved a lot. I remember going to three different schools in three different school districts just for seventh grade, for example. And um, as a kid growing up, when you are not able to control those circumstances. I think you come up with ways to cope. Unfortunately, a lot of kids drift toward gangs or or drugs. Um, I never did any of those things, but I, I know that I, I carried with me a lot of shame for the life that we lived. There's just something that as a kid you you can't control. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Are we used to go to near new shops and thrift stores, not because we were hunting for a cool bargain, like a garage sale, but because we needed shoes. So we got used shoes. We got used clothing sometimes. Always, always presents at Christmas that were used. Um, Not always, like not every present, but I can't remember a year we didn't have presents that that were previously loved by other kids. And my dad was definitely in our life, but he was, We saw him every weekend for a while and then every other weekend. And then as I became a teenager, he and his uh, new family moved to Seattle, Washington from Denver, Colorado, and we saw him just in the summers mostly. Anyway, to make the long story short, I remember, and I told this to the other financial advisors briefly, but I said one of the memories I have that sticks with me and still resonates with me now that I'm a father is when we were, I was in second grade. So I was seven, I think. My sister was in, in kindergarten. So she was five. My mom had to tell us as Christmas approached the news that there was no Santa Claus. And it wasn't that we, you know, I was seven years old. I think I would have probably believed for at least a couple more years. But the reason that she did it was because she knew that money was going to be extremely tight. There was probably not going to be a lot that we were going to get. And what, you know, the, the story goes, if you're a child, is that Santa brings presents to the good boys and girls, but not to the bad ones. And my mom did not want us to feel like we had been bad kids and Santa had overlooked us or, or had, had rejected us. So she had to tell us at that point, there is no Santa. You know, you guys are not going to get a lot this year. And I love you both very dearly, but it's there's, there's no money. That's always stuck with me. And when I eventually married, I married my, uh, my sweetheart at 22 and we had kids i was 24 when my son was born 28 i think when my daughter was born and so it was very important to me that money became a thing that although in my childhood it was just always a fight and a struggle and money was something that we always we always lost (laughs) when it came to money i wanted to change that so early in my young married life and as a young father i uh, i've always been entrepreneurial my grandparents on both sides also owned their own small businesses, kind of blue collar businesses. One of my grandparents owned three Amico gas stations, which was just a lot of work and not a lot of revenue. Um, also a towing company and an auto clinic with that. But they just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked forever. And my other grandparents owned, at one point in their lives, two bakeries while my grandfather was also a forklift operator at Coors. So I saw the hard work ethic from my parents and my grandparents, the entrepreneurial spirit probably of my grandparents about being self-employed and that you could have the discipline to actually do it. So we got the opportunity to purchase in our small town uh, a, a video store in 2009. And I'm sorry, I'm taking your part in 2001. And then after that, I had been in the restaurant industry as a district manager and a director of operations before I became a financial advisor, but in a town right next to ours, there was this weird combination video store slash pizza restaurant. And I won't even tell you the name. It was, so, I mean, the guy was like, I don't know, the real estate agent told us, I don't know why it failed. And as we pulled up one day to finally look at the building, because he nagged me until I finally agreed to go look at it. He, he was trying to sell it to us as a second video store that we might own and run independently uh, of the other one. And I pulled up and the name on the business was PMS, question mark. We've got the cure. And the PMS was spelled out pizza, movies, subs. But it literally was a business that uh, was like the most misogynistic, just like deplorably named, awful idea that I had ever seen as a business person. Um, so I, I thought, oh, my word, I can't even believe. No, I, imagine my surprise that business didn't make it. But we went into the, the building and it was, you know, it was beautifully set up to be a pizza restaurant and he sort of just made the lobby into a video store. So I thought, well, it's easier to just move the videos to our current video store, which is a very big operation. And I said, just turn this into a... A pizza shop and I had been in business uh, in the restaurant business for years already and had moved up the chain and was making other people successful as a business owner or as a, as a restaurateur so I wondered if I could do it for myself and my wife God love her said if you want to give it a try give it a try so we opened in a small town called Platteville Colorado Torgies Pizza and Torgies, Torgerson is my last name, Torg or Torgie was what my nickname was for forever. And um, we opened that in August of 2002. Um, in August of 2005, we opened a second Torgies in uh, Greeley, Colorado, and ran those until the Great Recession really began. We got an offer on two of the businesses, and we decided to close the other one. Um, there was some decision-making to do there. Partly it was the video industry, um was being wiped out by netflix the uh the economy in northern colorado there were a million foreclosures everywhere it was the time when the subprime mortgage bust was about to begin and also our kids were really growing up without seeing much of mom and dad the businesses can really take over your life and uh, like our dining room table became a second office desk full of paperwork and there was always an ad that was due to the paper before friday and there was uh, the, the, the bookkeeper needed such and such, and the accountant needed this, and there were taxes to pay, and there were payroll to meet, and it was just much, much, much more work than we expected. And we had a, a CPA, we had a bookkeeper at the time, but nobody ever, ever talked to any either one of us about financial planning for our family or financial planning from a business owner's perspective. We just sort of made our profit, paid a lot of taxes, reinvested money in the businesses because we sort of assumed the businesses would be our future and our retirement. and Maybe the kids would want them because everybody thinks the kids will want their business and kids don't. But that became a real part of it. And when we were faced with the decision of should we start over, close these things down, sell the two with the offer we got, um, shut the other one down and and we have looked at each other, my wife and I, and we said, well, we're going to both have to do something different with our lives professionally. At this point, we were in our mid-30s. And I said, you know, if we're going to do something different, let me do something really different. And I had already started to do my own research on financial planning, trying to figure out the best way to move our businesses forward. You know, no one ever talked to us about a 401k for our our, our own savings or our our employees. No one ever talked to us about any of those things that would have saved us so much in taxes that we paid unnecessarily. So I began to do this research and realizing, my God, there's got to be a million other business owners like me out there who are just struggling to make ends meet, or maybe God willing, their businesses are really thriving, but they don't have an advocate. They may have an attorney, everyone, we all did, and they all had a, a tax person who's thinking about this year's return or this quarter's estimated payments or Something, but not thinking about you five years from now or 20 years from now and that's a financial advisor's job. So I told my wife as I was doing our own research, I, there's got to be so many business owners that could benefit from, from somebody who has been there, who knows exactly what it's like to lay awake at night trying to figure out how to rob Peter to pay Paul because payroll's due on Friday, those kinds of things to keep a business afloat until it's solvent and then finally really profitable who has been through the life cycle of a business completely. And so we decided to that I was gonna become a financial advisor. And then I made the other decision was that I had been lived my whole life in Denver, Colorado. And I said, if we're going to change, let's do something really different. And we decided because my folks had been relocated, my, my mom and stepfather had been relocated to a little city called Harlingen, Texas, clear at the base of the bottom of Texas that we would relocate um, to someplace warm and tropical for a while too and let our kids grow up in a little bit different place than where we were. So that's how I ended up in South Texas. We moved there in January, 2007. Uh, we left in February, 2017 and moved home to Denver after my son Joshua graduated from the University of Texas with a degree at ride Scholarship and two years early. I'm so proud of my boy. And my daughter, Sarah, graduated from Los Fresnos High School, and uh, she is now a junior with a uh, going for a a psychology degree. So very, very proud of both my kids. But anyway, we're back. And that kind of a story lends you to tell you why when I got started as a financial advisor, my heart was with working people who were trying to make ends meet, who were trying really hard to do it right, it's really easy to not pay all those taxes, for example, if you take a lot of cash in your business instead of ringing everything through the register like you're supposed to. I didn't want anybody to feel like they had to cheat to be successful. There are plenty of opportunities and ways and strategies to make your business thrive without having to resort to either cheating your employees, cheating your customers, um, or cheating the government. And so I, I, that was my initial plan. Was to focus only on small business owners, which there are a bunch in, in the south part of Texas. Um, where we lived, though, I found out that the major employers were school districts. So I ended up, the recession was raging. The, uh, this is kind of a funny story, and I'll show you this at another time. But one of my very first, uh, my very first day at Edward Jones that I could sell was the morning that Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. And so we went in to make our calls at the training center in Tempe, Arizona. We finally could reach out to people and ask them if they'd like a you know second opinion on their portfolio or whatever. And the market fell like 1,100 points that day. And it just went down and down and down for the first six months I was in the business. I, I literally joined this industry the morning that the recession really started. Um, so the first six months were a very interesting thing i think it made me a different kind of advisor i I tend to be not not a significant risk taker i've learned over the years how to minimize risk and how to minimize cost to help our clients money Uh, we can control the things we can control we can't control everything so we want to make sure that i learned that very early in this business but anyway the the major employers there were school districts and i was sitting at a chamber of commerce meeting and the the chief financial officer of the local school district said you know jeremy you can you do teacher retirement accounts. They're called 403B accounts. And I said, well, yeah, I can. I don't have any at the moment. He said, well, yeah. he says, here's our problem. We have a whole bunch of these teachers that have been sold these investment related 403B products from advisors for the last 10 years. Now that the market is going belly up, these teachers are panicked. They're calling our office wanting advice or you know, wanting to get out of stuff. And we don't do any of that. We don't have anything to offer them. I mean, and as the employer, we really can't get into giving them financial advice or investment advice. Can you come talk to our teachers? And I said, I'd be happy to. So I went in uh, and just said, guys, I I, I'm, I could take your account, but let me just see if I can help you. And just as a kind of a courtesy to our local, it was a small town, so it was, an, it was just the neighborly thing to do. But I ended up over those years becoming a 403B expert and uh, have a great number of clients that, that we manage their, their school teacher retirement accounts in both Texas and Colorado now. Totally unexpected. But the other thing that it occurred to me when we moved to where we did was that you had a lot of poverty. And it was, and I saw a lot of kids growing up in similar circumstances that I did. And so my heart was also led to say that as an advisor, I never wanted to turn a family away that sincerely wanted the help. It's one thing, if you're not serious about it, I can't do anything about that. I can't care about your future more than you do. But if I saw somebody that said we don't have much, but we wanna do something better, I felt I had a professional obligation to help them. So in many ways, it, became, it felt like ministry work to me in a lot of ways. And it was an education process. I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the last 12 years in this business was that the difference really between rich and poor, other than a level of, other than having access to money, let me say that, is having access to information about it. A rich guy's got all the people in the world to offer advice. The average working class person does not. And so they tend to be easy pickings and prey for unscrupulous salespeople, insurance agents that are selling them products they don't need, um, financial advisors putting them in really expensive mutual funds um, that they make a good commission off of and then waiting two or three years and then doing it again because they're, they, can, they, can, they can almost churn, is what it's called, the account um, and make money off the client over and over and over again because of the client's lack of sophistication. So I decided when I was a financial advisor that I was going to spend a great portion of my time educating. And you would find out if you were coming to a seminar or you're going to listen to this podcast, you're going to find out I'm a good guy. You're not, I'm not worried about trying to convince you that I'm honest or trustworthy or that I'm sincere and passionate about what I do. That'll either come across to you or it won't. And if you never grasp that you're dealing with an honest guy, It's okay that we don't do business. I'd really rather not. So what I hope that this podcast will do for you going forward is, if even if you never become a client of Invest Advisors, let us be a resource for you. We're going to answer things for working people to understand. We're going to talk about subjects that working people uh, need to know about. College savings. How do we get out of debt? Uh, The next podcast is actually, I'll give you a sneak preview, but it's going to be I just left my company either voluntarily or not, and I've got to roll over. What do I do? I've got an old 401k. Do I leave it there? Do I roll it over? Do I cash it out? We're going to talk about those things in just simple, honest, uh, easy-to-understand language. And I think, let me leave this podcast with this as time is getting long. And I want to thank you if you've listened to me this far. Folks, money is not money is not a fight. Money does not have to be confusing. Money does not have to be complicated. It's actually fairly simple. You know, I told that to the same group of advisors that I told my personal story to. And those advisors said, God, all we do all day is try to convince people that money is too complicated and they need guys like us. And here you are building a firm, telling people that it's not difficult and it's not complicated. And I said, it's not if you have the knowledge. But I think my kind of client is going to be busy with their lives. And so they're going to want this handled for them at some level. And they, they just want to know that it's in good hands, that the person that, that is taking care of their money is taking, is, is cares about them and wants to make sure that they do well. So that's what Invest Advisors does, guys. We, we educate. We get you started if you've never started before. And we have created programs and fee structures that make sure that you're not excluded even if money is tight. Our financial plans are 29 bucks a month for a year. And then you can either stay on with a maintenance program which is lower or you can go away at that point. But if $29 a month and we work with you and we build a financial plan for you, just one little bit of it a month over that first year. And in the meantime, we get you fully educated on things like basic estate planning and debt management strategies and how to handle taxes and and how to create a budget for yourself. And then we put it all into an online financial plan that you can access any time and you get one on one time with the advisor every month while you're building your plan out. And then you get it every quarter afterwards to make sure that we don't need to make changes to it. Those kinds of things. If you need an investor, an investment manager, we never have a, a minimum balance on any account. You can start with $1 if you wanted to. And we don't charge commission. We don't use any products that have commissions. We charge our clients a fee to manage the money. We take it directly from the account, but our fees started less than 1% per year for your first dollar. We're not here to make a fortune off each client. We're here to help each individual family and we do it in a high tech and virtual way. So that's the the gist of Invest Advisors. I think I went too long on my personal story and less on telling you about my firm. But if you have questions about the firm, email us. My personal email, I'll make sure I put in the the notes on the podcast, but it's jtorgerson, T-O-R-G-E-R-S-O-N, at nvestadvisors.com. Or you can also hit just info at nvestadvisors.com, and it will also be reached. Ask us questions. We're happy to talk to you about it. If you want a few few minutes to just Q&A with us, we offer that for free. We don't charge anything for our time. If you're just wanting to explore this or you have a specific question, you'd like to get impartial advice, we're happy to offer it to you, okay? We're not the right fit for everybody, but I think we're the right fit for most people who are still working, who are raising young families, who want this handled and, and not have to be terribly invested in long office visits and driving clear across town to sit in your financial advisor's mahogany office and be intimidated. There's, there's no reason for that. We can actually work together in a very casual and friendly and, and virtual way where we still look at each other on the computer screen and we can still share screens and we still talk one-on-one. But we can do it after dinner with your family. We can do it on a Saturday. We can do it however your family needs it done. So this is a very, very different firm. It's not meant for the super wealthy who want their backsides kissed by their agent or advisor. This is for for folks who have basic, serious financial needs, want an advisor they can trust and don't want to pay a fortune for it. And that's what we're about. So God bless you all. I hope you have a great day. I'm happy to be back uh, doing this podcast. We're planning to do one once a week. Next week's is going to be about if you have an old rollover or an old company 401k plan, what do you do with it? Well, we're going to give you several options and tell you after you have some info about yourself, what the right one might be for you. Have a great day, guys. Again, this is Jeremy Torgerson. We'd love to hear some questions from you. Send us an email with any kind of financial question you'd love covered on the podcast, and we'd love to hear from you then. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for the Money in 30 podcast. Remember to subscribe to be notified of new episodes as soon as they're available. And for more information about Invest Advisors, including how we can help your family or business, check out our website at www.investadvisors.com.